Well, let us open up God's word together from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 20 through to 37. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so... When you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. Good morning, everyone. Please keep that reading open in front of you. And uh, let, let me pray before we begin to look at it a bit more closely. Heavenly Father, we pray that you be with us this morning. Help us to see, help us to hear your word. And we pray that you might be helping us to see the world like you see it and find our peace in your arms, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Global Anxiety in the End Times, Part 2, is our, our text this morning, second half of Luke 21. Now, as we looked at the first half of Luke 21 last week, we were given three snapshots of the global anxiety that has a stranglehold upon the world around us. Our world is anxious about survival. Our world is anxious about the future. And above all, and for some strange, and I suggested in a hint, 
demonic reason, our world is very, very anxious about Jesus Christ. Anxious enough to persecute his followers and even seek to try and wipe us out of existence altogether. Now this week, as we go through the second half of Luke 21, we will see plenty more snapshots of global anxiety. But I thought I'd give you a break and uh, we're only going to notice them in passing this week. For this week, I wanted to look more at the fact, the second half of, my, of the topic, of, 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 the, of the, the heading, uh, I wanted to look more at the fact that we live, that we experience this global anxiety in the end times. Jesus doesn't want his followers to be so weighed down by this global anxiety that they won't be ready for the kingdom of God when it arrives. Look at his warning to the people of Israel who are listening to him right down at the end of our reading in verses 34 and 35. Be careful, he said, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all, all those who live on the face of the whole land. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. They were living in troubled times. But he didn't want them to be so tangled up in the anxieties of life that the end might take them by surprise. And the same goes for us too. Instead, Jesus urged people back in Luke chapter 12 to understand the present time. Then, as we understand the present time, we'll have a completely different response to the global anxiety in these end times. We'll not be trapped or beaten down by it, but instead we will stand with our heads held high. Look at Jesus' positive instructions in, the, in, this, in this chapter. And I'm going to steal the last verse of our reading last week, which you don't have in front of you. But there's three times he talks about standing. Verse 19, we ended last week's reading when Jesus said, Stand firm and you will acquire your life. Or look at verse 28 of our reading today. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Or down in verse 30, 36, be on the watch and pray that you'll be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. That's what he wants for us all. He wants us to stand. Rather than being trapped in this global anxiety, seeing our times like Jesus sees them will lead to a greater confidence in life, a certainty that, will, that all will be well with our soul when the, when the end comes. Now today I want us to understand these end times like Jesus did and to find that secure place in which to stand, standing before the Son of Man with our heads held high despite the chaos around us, looking forward to the great, with great joy to the coming kingdom of God. Last week, I took you through three snapshots of global anxiety. This week, we'll look at three imperatives, three things to do, three instructions. And as we take hold of these imperatives and make them our own, rather than being trapped in global anxiety, we will be freed by Christian certainty to stand with our heads held high. So the first imperative, remember... Remember, the judgment has fallen. 
verses 22 to 24, our first paragraph. Now, I'm not going to suggest that it's, there's, everything's easy in this passage. It's one of the most tricky passages in the gospel to understand. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a new take on it, I think, this morning. To understand Luke 21 properly, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus' first hearers and hear his words for their day before we try to hear his words for our day. If we walk in the shoes of Jesus' hearers, in verses 20, 20 to 24, Jesus is getting them ready for the end that is just about to come in their day by reminding them of the end that had already come in the history of their nation. To prepare them for the judgment of God that is just about to fall, he reminds them of the last great judgment that fell on Jerusalem. As Jesus looks ahead, he describes the end that is about to come upon them using all the imagery drawn from the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 587 BC. That terrible event was the judgment of God on their nation because they had turned away from their God. The Old Testament spoke about this event in dramatic detail and now Jesus picks up many of the exact same Old Testament phrases for that past act of judgment in order to describe the next act of, judge, of God's judgment that is just about to arrive. In 587 BC, Jerusalem experienced a desolation. And now, as we see in verse 20, in the plan of God, another such time of desolation is about to come. But to, to summarise, this is what Jesus said to his contemporaries. Remember, the judgment of God has fallen on our city before. Remember and know that God's judgment is about to be poured out again. Now the expression in verse 22, for this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written, is very significant. The time of punishment, or as other versions put it, the days of vengeance. This expression was used when the Jewish people looked ahead to the time just before the arrival of the kingdom of God. Some Jewish writings expected a time of vengeance before the Messiah would be revealed. Jesus is saying to his friends and hearers, get ready. The expected time of vengeance on human sinfulness is about to arrive. The time of punishment is almost here and the Messiah is about to be revealed, bringing the kingdom of God. Remember the judgment. Now, when Jesus was talking to the crowds in Luke 21, it was just before he was arrested to be crucified, which happens in Luke 23. The next great judgment to fall would be when he hung on the cross to bear the judgment of God for the sins of the world. When he died, when he died for us, the days of vengeance promised by the prophets and expected by the Jews came about as the Messiah was pierced for our transgressions. Just like Jesus pictured his death back in chapter 9, verse 31, as a new exodus, drawing upon that great Old Testament event. Here in Luke 21, I suggest, he reminds his hearers of the great day of judgment that fell upon their city in the past in order to get his hearers ready for the next great day of judgment 
when he would die for the sins of the world. Now, if we come back to our time and put our own shoes back on, of course, we look back on that great day of judgment. The cross of Christ is behind us, and as we live in the midst of our world's global anxiety, the cross is fixed, final, and completed. Even at the climax, sorry, at the fixed, final, and completed event at the climax and centre of God's plan. No matter what chaos and disaster might happen around us to raise further global anxiety, this event will never change. We move into the future knowing that the judgment of God for our sins has already occurred. Remember, the judgment has fallen already on Jesus Christ on the cross. The second imperative, C, redemption is near. In Jewish expectation, the arrival of the judgment would be quickly followed by the time of redemption. And Jesus wants his hearers to have that same expectation for the future. Again, we first need to walk in the shoes of Jesus' first hearers and try to see what he wanted through their eyes. The disciples back in verse 7 had asked him, which we looked at last week, had asked him, when would the end come? And what would be the sign of its arrival? Now, as Jesus begins to answer their question, he continues to draw upon the imagery that the Old Testament had already used for the day of judgment. Verse 25, there will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint with terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Whereas last week we saw, back in uh, around about verse 9 through to 11, we saw that there are all kinds of events in this world that do not indicate the end. There is one event that clearly does signal the end. Out of the coming time of judgment, which he portrays in such imagery here, this signal, this one signal, will emerge. Verse 27, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The coming of the Son of Man is the sign of the end. And this signal will come, notice, which may surprise you, in the lifetime of Jesus' hearers. Look down at verse 32. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And to assure, to, to stress the truth of this, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When Jesus' hearers see the coming of the Son of Man, then they should know, verse 28, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. When they see the Son of Man coming, the time of redemption is near. Now remember, we're still walking in their shoes in their time, not in our shoes and our time. After 2,000 of Christian history, 2,000 years of Christian history, when we've been discussing the Bible over and over again, when we, when we read about the coming of the Son of Man, many of us look to the second coming of Christ. And we think that Jesus is talking about that event, which still lies in the future for us. But those in, in first century shoes 
would have heard things differently. When Jesus refers to the coming of the Son of Man, he is quoting from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. And in the vision of Daniel chapter 7, in the midst of the chaos of global anxiety, to use our terms for today, Daniel sees the judgment day with the Ancient of Days, he calls him, God, on the throne, and with the judgment books opened. And then in the midst of this judgment scene, Daniel sees one like a son of man coming to the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days gives him the kingdom of God to reign over forever and ever. Now this is, this is not the Son of Man coming from heaven to earth like in what we expect from Jesus' second coming. It is coming from earth to heaven like what happened in Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And in the Gospel of Luke, this is the way the Son of Man sayings need to be understood. As Jesus began his journey to Jerusalem to die on the cross back in chapter 9 of Luke, Luke describes it in this way. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. The Son of Man will be lifted up. After his death he will rise from the dead and ascend to heaven and he will henceforth be seated at the right hand of the Father, having received the right to rule over the kingdom of God forever. Luke 9.51 And Luke 9.51 looks forward to Acts chapter 2, where on the day of Pentecost, Peter declared that Jesus' resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit shows that he has been exalted to the right hand of God as both Lord and Christ. He is henceforth installed as the king of God's kingdom. And just to seal the deal, a couple of chapters later, just before Stephen is martyred, Stephen looked into heaven and what did he see? He saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. As predicted by Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, the Son of Man, in Stephen's vision, has already come to the Ancient of Days and has already received the kingdom rule. And just to seal the deal one step further, whenever Acts or the rest of the New Testament refers to the second coming of Jesus, it never uses the language of the Son of Man, but always uses other language entirely. The language of the Son of Man refers to coming of the Son of Man coming refers to Jesus' resurrection and exaltation to heaven. When Jesus spoke to his first hearers and told them they would see the coming of the Son of Man, he was looking forward to his resurrection from the dead and his exaltation to heaven as Lord. That is the event they would see in their generation. That is the sign that their redemption was near. And of course, as we re-enter our own shoes and our own time zone, just like we look back on the judgment of God that fell on the Messiah on the cross, so too we look back to the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is risen from the dead. He is installed as Lord and Christ. He is reigning from the right hand of the Father and has poured out his Spirit to prove it. The Son of Man has come. That part of God's plan is over. 
and the kingdom of God is already given into his hands. And as we struggle to live in a world trapped in global anxiety, we can be confident because Jesus Christ already has the victory. This victory is declared by his resurrection from the dead, his exaltation to heaven and the pouring out of the Spirit on the days of Pentecost. Because we have seen that great event, we can, as in verse 28, stand up and lift up our heads because our redemption is drawing near. And so our next imperative, we can expect the kingdom to come soon. Verse 29 to 36. When we come to our third imperative, there is no need for us to imagine ourselves back into the shoes of Jesus' first hearers because this time their experience and our experience merge and become the same. Even though they look forward and we look back to the coming of the Son of Man, both of us know what that great event means for us. Our redemption is near. Once Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, these great events guarantee that the kingdom will come and that it is now very near. With the coming of the Son of Man and his resurrection from the dead and exaltation to heaven, the end times have begun, and so the end is surely on its way. Now Jesus reinforced this lesson with a parable in, verse, in verses 29 and 30. It's a simple comparison. He told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. When you see, when the, when you see leaves appearing on a tree, you know the summer is near. And so it is with the kingdom of God. When you see these things, that is, the things of verse 27, the coming of the Son of Man, we know that the kingdom of God is near. Remember how it worked in Daniel chapter 7. If, I'm assuming you've read it, but if you haven't, read it later. The Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days and was given the kingdom of God to rule over. And now that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, he is installed as King of the Kingdom. And that guarantees that the kingdom of God is very near. In God's great plan for the ages, once Jesus rose again from the dead, the very next event in the divine timetable is the arrival of the future kingdom of God. This means that we are living in the end times. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he said the gift of the Spirit of the gift of the Holy Spirit came in these last days. The Apostle Paul said a similar thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. He said, We are the ones upon whom the end of the ages have come. And the Apostle John is even more vivid. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Little children, it is the last hour. Now, from our point of view in 2018, it has been 2,000 years almost since the resurrection of Jesus. But as the Apostle Paul put it, all that this means is that we are closer to our salvation now than when we first believed. Romans 13, verse 11. And if, since there has been such a delay, why is the delay there? Well, the New Testament tells us there is a reason for the delay and one reason only. When the risen Christ met with his disciples on the day of resurrection, 
He told them this in Luke 24, verse 46. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. This is now our overarching task. As we eagerly expect the kingdom of God, it is the time for Christian mission. That's why the delay. In his great kindness and mercy, God has given our anxious world some extra time before the end in order for forgiveness to be preached and for people to respond by embracing Jesus Christ. And with, with this repentance, when this repentance occurs, we are freed by Christian certainty. In these end times, the world is in the grip of global anxiety, anxious about survival, anxious about the future, and terribly anxious about Jesus Christ. Many people are so trapped in global anxiety, the anxieties of life, that they continue to miss the great events of the past that guarantee our redemption in the future. They are so caught up, as it puts it in verse 34, weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life that they can't see that an escape has already been secured. But Jesus is good news for our anxious world. The message of forgiveness of sins is now going out to the nations as the only thing left to happen before the second coming of Christ and the arrival of the kingdom of God. And as the message of, the, of forgiveness of sins is embraced by people of all nations, we are freed from the global anxiety that's all around us. We are freed by Christian certainty. This certainty comes as we do three things, our three imperatives. Remember, at the cross, the judgment of God has already fallen on the Messiah for our sake. See, in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the Son of Man has already come and now reigns at the right hand of God for our sake. And therefore expect, like the leaves appearing on the trees means summer is near, so the coming of the Son of Man, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, means that the kingdom of God is near, bringing our redemption. And these three Christian certainties mean that we no longer need to quiver with anxiety or to grovel with worry before the forces of this world. We don't need for us to be weighed down by the global anxiety all around us, but we can now have the confidence to stand. As Jesus said, stand firm and you'll gain your life. Or as he said in verse 28, lift, stand up. And lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Or as he urges to pray in verse 36, be on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Amen. <clears throat>